All right, well, as we, uh, as we jump into this thing, I love the part where we're still in the book of John, and we get to keep moving forward in the book of John. And so we're just at the part of the book of John where he begins to talk about what's really going on um, in Jesus' life. And here's the deal. Um, we're looking at Palm Sunday, um, and we're at chapter 12 of, of the book of John. So um, 1 through 12 of John's record of his relationship to Jesus Christ covers three and a half years. And then 12 to 21 covers uh, a week and a half, two weeks maybe, something like that. It's, it's the craziest thing. He has got to get all of this in that took place here um, during what you and I know is Passion Week. Um, and so here we are at Palm Sunday. Welcome to Palm Sunday. Um, Jesus did not know it was Palm Sunday. Jesus did not know it was Passion Week. He just knew that things were beginning to happen and there was not an official holiday yet. And so it was all good. But this is the, the, the uh, movable feast it's referred to. Um, if you just Google it, if you weren't born and raised in a church and you just said, hey, I wonder what uh, Palm Sunday is all about. It will say it's a movable feast that is always the Sunday right before preceding Easter. And we see it as Jesus comes into Jerusalem and all the palm leaves and all the things going on. But I had a, I had a thing this morning when I was sitting in my office and I just began to ask myself this. Why did everybody have palm leaves? Because they didn't know it was Palm Sunday. They didn't know what was going on, and yet Jesus comes in riding on a little donkey, and he's just, you know, like headed in with his disciples just from a couple of miles out. He's over there having dinner with uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha at Simon's house, and he comes riding in on this donkey, on the, on the colt of a donkey, and yet people, they've got their palm branches. They're ready. They got their cloaks. They're throwing them down in the road, and it's like nobody knew it was Palm Sunday yet. It wasn't Palm Sunday until after he did it, and then it looked, looking back, we refer to it as Palm Sunday. Well, I'm not really sure. Not at all. I also like that when I Googled it just for fun to see what would pop up, that it's referred to as a feast. Palm Sunday is referred to as a Christian feast. And it's like, so, what you're saying is that we're supposed to have pre-Easter dinner and then Easter dinner. Grandma is responsible for two Easter dinners, okay? It's like elevensies, okay? It's like second breakfast. Uh, I just happened to watch all of those yesterday, so that's like still on my heart. It's not in my writings, but um, there it is. But, but that's what we got going on. It's a feast, and it's like, man, we just don't celebrate, do we? We don't celebrate enough as people, but I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about this idea of who it is that you might be listening to and what it is that God wants to say to you today. And I want to begin in the book of John. I want to be in chapter 12 because that's in John's account. That's where the whole you know, triumphal entry is. Do you know what that word means, triumphal? Um, we're going to talk about that too. But let's look at the triumphal entry in uh, uh, John chapter 12 beginning at verse 12. Flip one more page over. And let's just kind of read down through, uh, I don't know, verse 19. It says the next day, that will be the day after he had dinner with uh, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and all the guys at the, you know, at the house. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast, so there's already a great crowd there in Jerusalem for a great feast, okay, um, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and they took palm branches and went out to meet him, and they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. So they began to scream 
a prophecy that was written years and years before. Jesus found a young donkey, sat upon it, as is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey. Written um, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Now, when I read that, and I was anticipating this, you know, some things just hit you a little different. I thought, wow, the people of Jerusalem see Jesus coming. They've heard his great miracles. They're anticipating something. He comes riding in on, a, on the colt, you know, not on the donkey, but on the colt of a donkey. And these people start screaming prophecy to him. And his disciples are like, what's this all about? All of these times he's been saying to them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be raised from the dead, and on the third day, and like, you know, um, Jonah was in the belly of the whale, you know, and he, and the great fish. Anyway, and so he gives them all this stuff, and they still don't get it. But these people from Jerusalem are like, here comes the king, here comes the king. Isn't that crazy? And his disciples are there, and they don't get it. All right, well, let's just keep on going. All right. So um, at first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Um, that, yeah, they had so now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. So we've got a crowd that's coming with him from Lazarus' house. We've got a crowd that remembers, oh, yeah, he's the guy that raised Lazarus from the dead. Get that word out to everybody and see who all comes to the meeting. Okay, so that's going on. They're spreading the word. And then Many people, because of what he had done, um, uh, he had given them a miraculous sign, they wanted to go out and meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, look, this is getting us nowhere. Look at how the whole world has gone out to this guy. Come on. And what they're saying is, look, we got to do something. This is getting out of hand. And so I want to look at this story and we'll look at this picture of what it is that's going on here because um, Jesus is traveling from Simon's house over in Bethany. And, and, and so then you have um, a crowd that's coming with him. And we know that the disciples, when it says the disciples were with him, there was 12 disciples that Jesus had. There was 72 disciples that Jesus sent out at one time. There was 120 disciples in the upper room. There was many, many, many disciples left him back in John chapter 6, verse 66. And so we know that it means a crowd of people. And so there's a crowd of people with Jesus. There's a crowd of people in Jerusalem that remembered, oh, that's the guy that raised Lazarus from the dead, so they're coming out to meet him. And then you've got a, a, a crowd of people saying, this is the guy that does miracles. He does miracles. Let's go meet him. And then you've got the crowd from church, so to speak, the, the synagogue. They're like, yeah, this is not getting us anywhere. And so they go out to meet him, and all of this is coming crashing down at one time, and for whatever reason, the people that see Jesus coming, I believe, moved by the Holy Spirit, picked up palm branches, took off their coats, and threw them on the ground. Do you know that coats were an important thing back in Jesus' day? It's referred to as cloaks. See, you know, everybody doesn't have like lots and lots and lots of coats. See, in Jesus' day, they have a cloak. They have a coat. And that's the coat that they wear. And so in Jesus' day, and even before that, in the book of Leviticus, you can find the law that says, if somebody gives you their coat because they need a little extra money, like you're going to become a traveling pawn shop, if, if I give you my coat and you give me $50, okay, you would take a lot more than that for you to get my coat that I'm wearing right now. But, uh, you know, if, just if I, if I did, okay, but then you give me $50, I say, listen, I'll get $50 more and pay that back before tonight, but you've got to give me my coat back. And the law says, you can't keep my coat overnight. That's how important coats were. 
And these people were throwing their coats down on the road so that Jesus on the little donkey could come through. And, and this morning, like I said, I woke up and I came to church early, got my coffee, got my Dunkin' Donuts. You know, I got one uh, Bavarian cream. I got one old-fashioned classic. I got my black coffee for my wife. I got my, you know, three creams and two sweeteners for me. And I'm sitting in my office and I'm looking at this story saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? And, and he says, what about those palm branches? Where did those people get those palm branches? And he's, he's God. And I said, well you know, from the tree that you made um, and put in Jerusalem. And, uh, but I, I didn't, why did they have palm branches already? This is what I actually believe, and I have nothing to back it up. I'm writing fiction for you. But it's what I believe. I believe these were people that didn't have coats. They didn't have coats to throw down like everybody else was doing. So what would you throw down? anything you could find to cover the ground. And, and just for the record, these are beautiful palms, and I cannot thank my staff member who got those for me, and I think it was a, like a field trip for them all, but um, I can't thank them enough for the palm branches, but I'm talking about palm branches that are like four, five, and six feet long with you know palm fronds on them about like that, laying around underneath the palm trees in the Middle East, and, and these people are picking these up going, we want to be a part of this, and they're throwing them down where people are throwing their coats down. I believe it's because they were poor. I really believe it's because they were poor. And we call it Palm Sunday, and, and we recognize it, and immediately these people are screaming, moved by the Holy Spirit, and they're quoting a scripture from, Isaiah, from Zechariah that was written. Here, check me out on this. It was written 500 years earlier. You know, I don't think Jesus got on a, a donkey and said, okay, that's like, uh, you know, 342nd prophecy that I'm going to fulfill. Okay, I'm on the donkey. Let's see if we can get these people screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's 354. You know, I don't think he was keeping record. I think it was just taking place and it was unfolding because of who he is and how he was living and what he was sent down here to do. He is God. He is Emmanuel with us, among us, and he is here. And we look at Zechariah 9.9, 9, and it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a colt. He didn't come in riding in a chariot with gold spinner wheels and things like that. He didn't come in a big giant four carriage, you know, matching horses all the way. You know, somebody driving him, somebody his footman. He didn't do that. He grabbed a, a, a donkey, the colt of a donkey, and somebody threw their, their coat or something over it, and he jumped up on it. It's all the saddle he had. And he comes in as a poor king. And poor people are throwing down branches saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and, and they do or they don't even realize that that's a 500-year-old prophecy. But they believed that the king was here. If I can back up further than that to Psalm 118, about 1,044 years before Christ, it's believed that the psalmist David wrote Psalm 118. All right, King David. And he said that Jesus, the Messiah, the prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy 18, would come in to people saying, Lord, save us. Do you know what that means? Do you know how to say that? Hosanna. That's what that word is. Hosanna. Save us. Save. And so that's what they were screaming. Lord, grant us success. 
Here it comes. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from the house of the Lord. We bless you. So a thousand years earlier, King David writes a psalm. 500 years later, but 500 years before Jesus, um, Zechariah writes a psalm. And Jesus comes riding in on a donkey and fulfills all of this prophecy in just those two things. Five days before the Passover, he comes in triumphantly. Are you serious? Wow. <clears throat> We're going to get back to that. A thousand and forty-four years. And he comes in and fulfills that prophecy. Five hundred years. And he fulfills that prophecy because he comes in triumphant. You know what triumphant means? I had to look it up. Adjective, having won a battle or contest victorious person. It's past tense. Isn't it crazy that he comes in in a triumphant entry and, and the point is it's past tense and he hasn't been killed yet. He hasn't gone to the fight. He's celebrating the win and he hasn't even showed up to the fight yet. Man, I've been watching F1. Anybody in here like to watch F1 racing? No? Okay, well, at 1 o'clock this morning you missed the you know down under Grand Prix. Melbourne, I was up for it. Okay, it ended at 2.38. This morning, it was a great race. Uh, in case you were worrying, uh, Charles Leclerc won it. Okay, I'm just telling you. Okay, stop whining. But you know, um, Red Bull came in second and third. Just saying. No, actually second because anyway. But you know what? There it is, right there. And it's like we like to celebrate. We like triumphal entry. The one thing that I like about these guys that I think is so funny is whenever they interview these race car drivers, and they look like they're about twelve, and like somebody should like pluck that guy's you know you know one hair because he's not shaving yet. But you know he's driving a two, three, four million dollar car at speeds down there at approaching two hundred, not one hundred and eighty, not one hundred, approaching two hundred in those DRSs, and it was absolutely amazing. And they're just going. And they are so cocky and arrogant, it's crazy. Oh, yeah, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to beat them. You know, Mercedes ain't got nothing for us. Last year was Mercedes. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm just going to run this race and we'll do the best I can and leave these all guys in the dust. And they're all saying the same thing to each other. It's like, how can you guys even eat dinner together? It's like, whose head is bigger in here? Are you kidding me? And then, you know, the, the cockiest one gets in his car, and he goes racing, goes through the first curve, and smashes that car into the, into the wall. And you hear his radio, and he's like, oh, sorry, guys. Sorry about that. Sorry about wrecking a $3 million car into the wall? That's what you got? Sorry about that, guys. It's like, wow. And yet, that's what that word means. You approach the race, and you're just like, hey, you want to just give, go ahead and give me that trophy? Because I'm, I've won it already. But I'll drive the course if you want me to. And he, and he does it. And well, Jesus did that. Okay, but check this out. He's coming into Jerusalem, and it's considered a triumphal entry. Well, what's the difference between triumphant and triumphal? Triumphant is having won the battle over a uh, battle already, but triumphal means something that you do in celebration because you've already won it. So he comes riding in on the donkey because when somebody comes victorious from battle, they come in on the big chargers with the you know, chariots and the big wheels and the flags flying from them and you know, the, the horses kind of prancing and people are like, oh, hail Caesar, you know, because he won. And Jesus is coming in as if he has already won and he's looking you know, towards Friday and he sees Saturday, but buddy, he is celebrating Sunday a week early. That's what's going on. 
It's like, wow. So he does, he's triumphant before he starts. And so he does something triumphal and he carries it out as a result. And these people were moved by the Holy Spirit to do this thing. When we look at this celebration, and it is a celebration of victory. That's what Jesus is doing on that donkey. Check this out. He hasn't had the Last Supper. Nope. He hasn't washed anybody's feet yet. He hasn't done a ton of teaching in those nine chapters that John you know, was going to write. He hasn't said goodbye to his mother from the cross. He hasn't comforted his disciples and say, um, do not be afraid. Where I'm going, you're going to go. I want you to be with me in my father's house or many rooms. I go there to prepare. He hasn't said that to them. But he's told them over and over again, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. So much so that one of them goes, well, let's go to Jerusalem. If they're going to kill him, they might as well kill us too. Really, that's what he said in you know, proper English. But that's it. He hasn't promised us the Holy Spirit yet. And yet here he is celebrating his victory. He hasn't been arrested or tried or abused or shamed or crucified for our sins. And yet he celebrates the victory five days before it all hits the fan. And it's like, wow. That's, he's pretty sure of himself. What does John see in the triumphal entry that we need to be a part of? Remember, John's writing a book because John wants us to believe something. So that by believing what John writes, we will believe in Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. So when you read this, you have to say, wow, he came in on a donkey, people are throwing their coats down, people are throwing their, their uh, palm leaves down. What do we need to understand? John points to prophecy from over a thousand years earlier, and then again from 500 years earlier, as a witness to the truth of who Jesus is. He wants you to believe. How can, this happen? How can this happen? How can a man know that this word that he spoke is that significant from 1,000 or 500 if he's moved by the Holy Spirit? Then he will write down what God tells him to write down. And he will, you know, probably a year went by and he's like, well, there's no triumphal entry, no king coming in on a donkey. He probably died thinking, well, I must have got that one wrong. But 500 years later, Zechariah's prophecy came true. 1,044 years later, King David's prophecy came true. And it began to unfold in front of people's faces. But there's something I want to share with you. Mike DeBose on how the Bible was created says this about the Bible, first of all. Christian Bible is the world's best-selling and most widely distributed book. I don't know if you've read it or not yet. You might have read a couple of chapters here and there, but you ought to read the whole thing. Front to back, it's great. Last chapter is amazing. We win. Everybody goes home. Woohoo! Then we celebrate, Okay. The full Bible has been translated into 700 languages, more than any other book in history. Seven billion, that's with a B, copies have been disseminated worldwide. In fact, the United Bible Societies reported 184 million full Bibles were distributed between 2015 and 2019, which set a new record. 25% of those were full downloads from the Internet. Bible in Latin means books or scrolls, so it's a collection of writings assembled together. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years, beginning with the creation of the world in Genesis. Today's Protestant version contains, this is what you need to know about your Bible, there are 66 books written by 40 divinely inspired authors separated into the Old and the New Testament, and it was written over 1,500 years. So what you need to grab a hold of from there is, really, what are the odds that 1,500 years, 40 people could write 66 books, they could carry the same theme, point to the same prophetic things? You see what I'm saying? 
It just begins to stack up and it gets kind of ridiculous. So check this out. The Bible is full of messianic prophecies according to Fellowship of Israel Related Ministries, also known as FIRM. The Bible is full of messianic prophecies. Mathematician, this is a math guy, this isn't me. Okay, I took like algebra like four times, three times, until I finally got it right and they let me pass, okay? Um, then took it remedial in college just because. Uh, mathematician Peter Stoner counted the probability of one person fulfilling even a small number of the prophecies from the Bible. He concluded that the chance of a single man fulfilling just 48 prophecies found in the, in the Tanakh, which is, you say Old Testament, but the Jews don't have the Old Testament like we have the Old Testament, okay? Um, wisdom lit and stuff like that for them. But in the Tanakh, okay, it would be 1 in 10 times 157. In other words, that's one followed by thousands upon thousands upon thousands of zeros. Wow. And that's just 48. Just 48 prophecies. Jesus fulfilled 324 personal messianic prophecies. And so when you start adding that, the odds of that up, it gets exponential. You don't just add that many more zeros. It gets exponential to be able to do that. And the scripture is fulfilled by Jesus that way. That's a lot of zeros. Wow. Here's the second thing I want to share with you that I think John wants us to know. Jesus celebrated the win before he got into the fight. He celebrated the win before he celebrated, we the, the, got into the fight. He celebrated. When was the last time you celebrated anything? I mean, besides a birthday, holiday, anniversary, when was the last time you celebrated? When was the last time something went right for somebody, for you personally, and you said, let's celebrate? When was the last time you found a gold coin that you couldn't find because you swept your whole house and you put it all back together and then you found the gold coins and you called your friends and celebrated? When was the last time something like that happened? When was the last time God put his finger in your life and you had to call people and said, let's celebrate, let's go to parties and get a coffee? Okay, I know it's a problem, but I'm just saying, when was the last time you celebrated? We don't celebrate enough. We don't. We should celebrate more. But we worry a lot, don't we? We do that a whole lot. Man, we're so scared of missing out, not having, not getting, not, not arriving, not being called, not being invited, not being. We just, we're just so scared, so scared, so scared, so scared, so scared. And, and so we don't celebrate. When was the last time you celebrated God himself? I mean, sometimes we say, thank you, God, for doing this in my life. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my really amazing, awesome, cool, better than you dogs. Um, thank you for all of those things that I have. Um, Thank you, God. But, but when do you celebrate God? See, when we gather together on Sunday morning, that's what I want to do. I want to celebrate. I want to sing. Yeah, but man, I don't sing. I know, but would he like it if you sing? You know? I've heard people say, oh, yeah, my wife, she, I can't write poetry. It's like, give it a shot. Screw it up real bad and watch what still happens to you. It's awesome. Write her a poem. It's amazing. I think God wants us to celebrate him. I really do. I think he actually expects to be celebrated. And I think we miss that sometimes. Jesus came into Jerusalem as somebody that already become victorious because he was looking down the barrel of the crucifixion, but he was looking at what it was loaded with, and that was the resurrection. <laughs> the devil thought he was winning. 
And Jesus is like, man, I know I got to go through it. I really don't want to, but I'm telling you right now, I can see it's going to be for you. And Joe Wood's going to get saved, and it's going to be so awesome. And, and we're just going to do things together. And, I'm so, and God said the same thing about you because he saw that. Jesus believed his father. He believed the promise. He believed the prophetic words. Listen to the words of Moses. Moses answered, the people said, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. What are the odds that the Egyptians you see today are not the ones you'll see? I mean, the Red Sea parts, the people go through, they look back and they see they're being chased by the bad guys and they say, ah, we're being chased by the bad guys. And then they say, what are we going to do? And Moses says, God, what are we going to do? They're still coming. They're going to put us back in slavery. And God says, please stop. Please stop. Man, we just can't slow down, can we? we got to go 100 miles an hour. we got our kids and everything. Our kids are doing everything. Our spouses and everything. Our spouses doing everything. we got to buy everything. we got to have everything. we got to like everything. we got to watch everything. we got to listen to everything. we got to do everything or else our life is not full. And God is saying, chill. Chill. Stop. Listen to what he says to Moses. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. He's saying, just chill out. Just hang out with me for a little bit and relax. But man, we, we, I mean, if I could take a note out of my wife's life, she was raised on a farm. And it's like there, if, if things kind of got difficult, their, their deal was, you know, you're in the tractor. Things are getting a little difficult. Farming's not going the way it should. And, you know, you're cranking up the stereo and the 4440 got the air conditioner going full blast. And you just grab that shifter and you put it in a lower ground and drop that plow deeper. You just work harder. Get more. Have things. And that's not what God wants you to do. He said, stop. Get out of the tractor and go sit under the shade tree and just be peaceful for a minute. I want to do something in your life. Listen to God when Samuel is speaking to the children. He says, now, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Stop. Stand still. Shh. Quit. Quit worrying. Oh, quit worrying? Look what Jesus said. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. None of those, those are all three things that you need. Stop worrying about what you need. For the pagans run after all these things and they try to get more and they think the person that dies with the most is the winner. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't Worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient to the day of, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. The, the day has enough evil. Don't buy. Your granny used to say, "Don't be, don't buy trouble." You ever, your granny ever say that to you? Now listen, don't buy trouble. Don't make something up in your head that you think might could happen, and so you better just stay home. Don't do that. Just deal with what you got on your plate right now. Tomorrow you'll wake up and things will still be there and you can begin to deal with them. And that's what Jesus said. Don't worry yourself about tomorrow. I mean, some of this teaching flies right in the face of, of you know, the Dave Ramseys and the, you know, those kind of guys. And it's just like, stop trying to protect yourself from everything. You can't. But I can. And that's when he says, so stand still. Don't worry. You know, actually, I, I cut this passage down by a couple of verses. But actually, it says, don't worry four times in this. What do you think Jesus is trying to get across to us? 
If he's got to say it four times in less than 30 seconds worth of reading, what do you think he's trying to get across to you in this room right this second? Stop worrying. You don't have to have everything. It's okay. Four times we're challenged not to worry. Jesus celebrated the wind because as he entered Jerusalem, he beat the odds. You beat the odds by surrendering your life to Jesus. Check this out. I don't know how you feel about this, but let me just tell you anyway. One in two, uh, excuse me, one in 292 million, 201, 338 are your odds of winning the Powerball this week. Just for the record, you're not going to win. Okay? There's not that many people in America. Well, there is. Yeah. Come on. But you got up today and you went to work or came to church anyway. How about this? One in 74,817,414 are your odds of being killed by an asteroid. Oh, baby! Do not let the CDC get a hold of that figure because we will all be wearing metal helmets. Okay? I know, but there's a chance. You're saying there's a chance, right? It's like, yeah. One in 74 of 75 million? Well, I know. Well, just stay home and just binge on Netflix then. Okay. What about this? You've got a 1 in 5,693,092 odds of being killed by a tornado today. See, I knew we should have watched online. Because what if while we're driving home, tornado comes? Yeah. What about this? You didn't know this, but you've got a 1 in 300,000. Now we're getting serious, right? Because this could happen. 1 in 300,000, that's like people in the state of Kentucky, of getting killed by a cow today. Some of you are farming and you're like, Martha, go out and shoot that thing. It's going to turn on us one of these days when we're sleeping in our beds. It's going to come in the house. Get us, stinking cows. What about this? You've got a 1 in 250,000 odd of dying from a blood clot today. Did you take your aspirin? I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't take my aspirin. I want to go home, and I don't care, and you think I'm crazy, and I'm not. I'll tell my wife. She says, stop saying that. It's going to happen, and it's going to be prophetic. The goal of Christianity is to go home. It's not to stay on this planet. And the way things are going, I don't want to stay. I want to go home, but I have a job to do. But there's a 1 in 250,000 chance of me dying from a flood caught today, so there's that hope. Okay, we've got things to look forward to. There's chances. Things could get better, right? What about this? You've got a 1 in 157 to the 10th power of Jesus fulfilling just 48 prophecies. And yet he filled 324. You have a better, <laughs> a better chance of winning the Powerball than Jesus did of fulfilling those prophecies. If I did my math right, and I'm no mathematician, I just took for granted what this math guy said when he put that number out there. And yet when the Powerball gets big, you still buy a ticket, don't you? I don't nod your head, okay? I, I really don't care. Have fun, okay? Dream. But what about Jesus? This is what I believe John wants, what John wants us to know. You can trust his word. You can trust his word. One in 157 to the 10th 
power is a lot of zeros. And yet he did it. I'd buy a lottery ticket from him. I just would. Wow. Can I trust what Jesus said? Yes, I can. So thank God for what you act for, ask for as an act of faith and thank him every day until it comes to pass. You know me. I'm not health, wealth, and prosperity. I believe deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, but he's my dad, and I'm going to ask. And then I'm just going to say thanks and celebrate what he does for me. The last thing I want to share with you is this as I run this thing to its end. What the world calls failure is triumph in the plan of God. Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and everybody is absolutely celebrating. Just out of curiosity, who do you listen to on a regular basis? Who speaks into your ear that creates the most anxiety in your life or the celebration in your life? Jesus comes riding in and he's a superhero and everybody loves him and he's the guy and he raised Lazarus from the dead and he healed the lepers and he did all this stuff and we all want to touch him and we all want to be near to him and we all want to see him do Hey, do it again, Jesus. Do it again, Jesus. Do it again. We want to see that. No, he said, come on, let's, let's see some fun stuff. Let's do some fun stuff. We're tired of, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do some fun stuff. Jesus and here he comes and he's coming in and everybody's like we love you we love you we love you but who do you listen to because we live in a world where where negativity sells not positivity and I'll take a little kid playing over with a cat on my Instagram any day over somebody else making another political post that just gets me in acid reflux mode you know like, I still don't have Facebook, and I'm still not sorry, although I do want to peek at your guys' once in a while, but I don't. So you're on your own, okay? There's nobody out there to correct you because I'm not on anymore. <laughs> so, so, so we see this thing right here. Who are you listening to that's selling blood and gore and murder and shootings and, and rejections and walking away and broken marriages and drug addict children? Who's speaking into you? Who is speaking into your life? Because the world wants to kill you. The world says you don't matter. The world says you're a loser. The world says you'll probably end up in hell. The world says God doesn't answer your prayer. The world doesn't want you alive because it belongs to the devil. Just because it doesn't result in fame and fortune, though, doesn't mean it's not triumphant. Jesus came in on a donkey, not in a, in a chariot. How can he be the king? And yet, you know, we get to the other end of the week and things go crash. We love to hear the voices of people patting us on the back, don't we? Hey, you did good. Hey, you're awesome. Hey, that, listen, we were all addicted to that. And I was a pastor first time, September 1st, 1993, Western Oklahoma, sitting in the desk, 8 o'clock in the morning, downstairs, 9 o'clock your time. And I was downstairs, and it was just like, Lord, what do I do now? And I preached that sermon, and people came up and said, good sermon, pastor. And I've read it since then, and it was like, they were lying. It's like, they were like my mother. It's like, you're the most handsome boy I've ever met. And it's like, come on, Mom, you don't get out of the house very often, do you? It's like, you know, I trust that you love me because I'm your child, but really, um, let's, just, let's just be honest, okay? You can't trust moms. They, they love us too much. But at the end of the day, these people will, will just, you know, they, they, they just tell you how wonderful you are or they tell you how terrible you are and depending on the the mode or the mood that they're in it just gets crazy so on you know day one jesus comes in and everybody's so excited they're patting him on the back we all like that it feels good it feels good but you don't trust that don't trust that okay 
You've got to believe in you. You've got to believe you're doing what you were called to do. You've got to believe that you're doing the best you can. And you've got to be a self-starter. And you don't need everybody's accolades. You don't need to be invited to the right party. You don't need to see how many clicks and how many likes and how many followings and how many things you got. You don't need all of that, okay? If you do, you need to back up and say, wow, whose approval am I living for? Because it needs to be the approval of the one that came riding in a donkey and didn't need to be in a chariot. The people rejoiced when they saw Jesus coming. They took palm branches, went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! And we love that, but people are a fickle bunch. You say no to those same people about anything, and especially withhold their expectation of you, what they want from you, and they will turn on you just like they did Jesus. When Pilate heard um, some of these things, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judge's chair uh, in a seat at the place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha, and it was the day of preparation of Passover, so we're getting closer to Easter. It was about noon, and he said to the Jews, here is your king, and they shouted, take him away and crucify him. And Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And they said, we have no king but, but Caesar. And so fi finally Pilate hands him over to be flogged and crucified. Now, I get that not all of the people that greeted Jesus with Hosanna, Hosanna, were the ones saying, crucify him, crucify him. I, I, I believe that. I believe a lot of those were people stirred up by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the people that were in charge of the theocracy of, of the nation of Israel back in the, in the day. But some of them were. Because some of them are so motivated and moved by the things around them, and they're just like, oh, now we want him dead? Okay, let's be dead, be dead, be dead. And it's like, wow. So the, it's like, what, what are you listening to in your life? When you think about Palm Sunday and people doing things and telling you how wonderful you are, and then you think about Good Friday and they're saying, whoa, dude, crucify that. You know, and it's like, you've got to be super careful. You cannot live your life. And Jesus didn't. But you cannot live your life for people's admiration. I believe John is showing us this, that people are a fickle bunch. Because what will you do when the voices turn on you? What will you do when you let them down because you're trying to live your life the best you can for you, but you didn't meet their need, their want, their demand, their command? And suddenly, they go from zero to toxic real fast. And it's like, yikes. I've often wondered what Jesus did. It's like, Lord, what's the answer to this? How do we handle this? You're looking at the same people. And some of them were. And I believe Jesus in the book of Luke chapter 23 told us. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The people that were singing Hosanna, 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 moved by the Holy Spirit, I don't think they knew what they were doing. They didn't know their king was about to be crucified. The people that crucified him, I don't think they knew what they were doing. I believe that there are Pharisees and Sadducees that legitimately were trying to protect God. I think they were. I think Saul, in his misguided attempt, was going the wrong direction. See how I did that professionally? Brought it right back to the topic of the sermon series. Are we going the right direction? I think Paul thought he was going the right direction, Saul. And he wasn't. He was doing the right thing for all the wrong reasons. And I think some people do all the wrong things for all the right reasons. But they're still the wrong things. Because they're listening to the voices around them. And I don't think that's what we're called to. 
forgive your enemies when they sin against you is hands down, in my belief, the hardest of all of Jesus' teachings, in my opinion. Forgive your enemy. Love your enemy. God, how do we do that? Loving your enemy isn't about being romantically inclined toward them. It's about acting on their behalf instead of tearing them down. So how do we do that? I think you've got to decide. Because every single situation is going to be different based on the players in the situation. But I do think it's, it's a place where God says, okay, then it's going, to, it's going to be one of those things that if we love our enemy, it's going to dictate what we do and don't do in this world. Don't listen to the enemy because he's lying to you and all he does is lie. That's the devil. But listen to Jesus saying this to you this morning. He came in triumphantly. He sees the victory. You've won already. I, I read the last, the last chapter. Okay, I told you about the race and who won. But look, I read the last chapter of the Bible. We win. We're going home. All of this isn't worth anything in the economy of heaven. None of it. Not the positions, not the accolades, not people's attentions, not being invited to the right parties. None of that means a thing. Listen to what Jesus said. As the devil tries to kill us and accuses us day and night, he said, seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. But don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough problems of its own. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. And I, and this, I know I'm, I'm doing it out of NIV, but I just wanted to. And then again, I love this in Matthew chapter 11. Come, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you tired? You're tired of the world, you're tired of the hate, tired of the yelling, screaming, hollering, tired of the rock throwing, tired of the murder, tired of the people rejecting their spouses, tired of running off on their kids, tired of, uh, tired of not paying child support, tired of not getting the promotion, tired of not getting a better job and making more money, tired of not feeling valued in the community that I'm in. Listen to what he says. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and kind. My burden is light. Jesus' understanding of the teachings from the Old Testament, because that's what he was dealing with at this point, are that his interpretation is it's there for you, not to dictate to you. My interpretation, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's what that means. My interpretation of the scriptures and how you're going to live is easy and light. You know, there's people out there that will tell you that, you know, oh, he's just preaching a cheap grace. There is no cheap grace. There is no cheap grace. Write that down in your heart. There is no cheap grace. You know why there's no cheap grace? Because you didn't pay for it. Your grace didn't cost you a licking thing. But it cost God everything. From now till eternity, it cost him his son. Jesus had to die for you. That's how expensive it was. But the fact of the matter is, it's free. And so some people will translate that cheap. I know there's some people that deal with it callously, but that's not your business. The book of Romans says you don't get to judge them. But here's the deal. It was free. But it's not cheap. And that's what Easter is all about.
that I have become forgiven by the grace of God. But it wasn't cheap. But it's free. And it's an easy grace. Because I can see myself as a sinner. Oh, I want to throw rocks at some sinners. I do. I'm just like you. I'm just another one struggling in the, in the net of Peter. I promise you, I'm just like you. I'm trying. But listen to me. We don't get to do that. Because those people need God. Listen to Isaiah. Come to me, all you who are thirsty. Come. Come to the waters. Come, you who have no money. Come. Come. Buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me. Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear to me and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love that I gave to David. That's what he's saying. I'm giving to you. My faithful love that I... He's not going to do whatever you want to do. He's not going to jump up and do the things you want. He's going to jump up and be God. And I'm just telling you, based on the odds and the way he came into Jerusalem, the way he fulfilled those prophecies, you can trust him to be God. Just because the world is singing and dancing doesn't mean that you should trust them, though. Not at all. Too many people put their happiness and their joy and their security and their affirmation in the world around them. Brother, the brother of Jesus, James, says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. When your goal is to establish your dynasty and your kingdom here, you're setting yourself up against God because we are passing through. We're passing through. I'm not saying don't enjoy it. You know me. God is my father. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. But he's still dad. And I'm still saying, Grandpa... Dad, do you have any work I can do? I need to make a little extra money because I want to have fun. And he says, yes. And sometimes he says, no. But listen to me about this. Just because you feel like a failure and it feels like Friday doesn't mean that the, the triumphal entry wasn't real. We've got to get past the idea that when things crash in our life that God hates us because he doesn't. When he doesn't do what we want, it's not because he's mad at us. He's not. We need to understand that even in the fiery furnace, those three guys met God. See, sometimes we have to go through stuff because God's shaping us and we don't like it. But instead of saying, get me out, we should say, what can I learn? Because the faster we learn, <laughs> the quicker the, the uh, environment changes, I found. The quicker we repent, faster God is to say, okay, now on to the next step of your education, Joe. And that's important to you and I. Because I believe that God wants to make a difference in your life. I believe that John wrote these things so that we would know this. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. I believe that with all of my heart. And I have since 1977. And I will until the day that I die. And I just... If you're in this room and it doesn't make a lot of sense to you yet, let me just give it to you real quick. You were born a sinner, separated from God. Inside of your heart is a sin nature that says, I want what I want, what I want it, and how I want it, and I want it now. That's sin. Okay? Me first, that's sin. But it's your human nature to survive against all odds. But it's your Christian nature to be altruistic and say, if I need to die, I'll do it too. 
And so when we recognize that that sin that's in our lives separates us from God and is the reason that Jesus came, then we recognize that he paid the price and all, all of the grace that is there is free to you and I when we will recognize that doing it our way separates us from God. Only don't accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Don't do that. Don't do that. Surrender to Jesus. Because if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've heard me say this before, you get up and you say, God, do this, do this, and you start bossing him around. you got no purpose in life. And you're trying to give God purpose, and he's already got purpose, and you're his purpose. But if you surrender your life to God, you get up and you say, God, what do you want me to do now? And God says, I want you to do this, and suddenly you have purpose in life. Purpose at work, purpose at school, purpose in your relationship, purpose at church, purpose in our community. Because you're saying, God, what do you want me to do? God isn't waiting for you to give him purpose. <laughs> He's got purpose. But at some point, you need to surrender your life to Jesus. And listen to me, if you've never done that, then Palm Sunday 2022 is a good day. You might have gone to church all your life, but you've never just stopped and said, I need to surrender. Today, I need to recognize that my continuing sin separates me from God that I need to rely upon his grace and in relying upon his grace I become a member of the family of God once again all things are right because God loves you don't clean yourself up first because that's never going to happen just let him do the transforming part of it as you make decisions that reflect your new choice and then when you've done that when you've said to God God forgive me I'm a sinner thank you for what Jesus did and come tell one of the pastors because we want to fill a tank full of water grab you and push you under the water and yank you back out in a very barbaric manner just to show people around you that you were serious about it not really we want to celebrate a baptism with you because Easter is about the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and our opportunity to relate and connect ourselves back into the family of God through that very thing. And that's what today's about. These people are up here because they want to pray for you because somewhere in here, maybe you heard the devil say, see, you're not good enough, and I'm telling you he's lying. Stop listening to him. He wants to heal you from that addiction. He wants to heal you from that sickness. He wants to heal you from that broken relationship. He wants to heal you from that wrong understanding of him and you. He wants to heal you in going forward. He wants to heal your finances. He wants to heal your car. He wants to heal you so that you can follow him and not order him about. That's what he wants. So whatever it is that the Holy Spirit's been saying to you today, that's what these people are up here to pray for. Don't leave Palm Sunday without feeling like God has reached down and touched an area of your life that you wanted to surrender to him. Let's pray. Father, who is God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for this day and for the blessing of Palm Sunday. Thank you, God, that I believe with all of my heart that that's you telling me that these people didn't have cloaks, Joe, so they grabbed plants and threw them down. And it fulfilled a word from Zechariah. It fulfilled a word from Psalm 118. It fulfilled a prophetic word that Jesus would come in riding on a donkey, being hailed as a king. And these people did everything they could because you care about the poor, the broken, the hurting. And God, not just the economy of poor, but the spiritual economy of people that are struggling in a poor spiritual manner. And you want to bring healing to that too. 
as we come before you, God, our world and the devil himself is not just accusing us before you, but he's accusing us to us. And we just, we need you to be here, Holy Spirit. Forgive our sins. Stand us back up. Dust our little bottoms off and send us back into the fight. And let us have a triumphal entry recognizing that we've already won. We just need to go through the week. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. I want to invite you to your feet as we're singing this closing song. Like I said, these people are up here to pray with you. They would love to pray with you on Palm Sunday while we're singing. You just kind of come right on up here and be with them.